Hey, my name is Lucas, and I want to welcome you to the official podcast of Coastline Young Adults from Coastline Church in Victoria. This podcast is dedicated to encouraging you in your faith and helping you apply it to real life in real time. Here you'll find messages from our weekly service at Coastline Nights and other conversations where we talk and tackle what it means to be a follower of Jesus in today's culture. Everything you find here will point you to the truth and hope of Jesus. So grab a beverage, enjoy the message, and lean into how God wants to speak to you today. Welcome to church. Glad to have you with you. My name's Adam. I'm the West Shore Campus Pastor and uh, here at Coastline, and I love being here with you. If this is your first time tonight, welcome. We're so happy that you're here. Um, you know, I didn't grow up going to church, and so I recognize how awkward, how difficult, how intense it is coming into a church for the first time, especially if you uh, were invited by somebody and you didn't know you were at church, and now you're like, whoa, wait, I'm at church? How did this happen? Um, we're happy that you're here. So glad that you're here. If you're here all the time, welcome back. Way to come back after Easter. All star, gold points. Jesus is giving you a high five right now in the spirit. Boom, you're welcome. Today we're going to do something fun. We're starting a brand new, brand new series. And in this particular series, what we're doing is we're looking at heroes of the faith. And we've noticed something fascinating when it comes to heroism. And this is what we've come to realize. The greatest heroes never actually aim to become one. Time and time again. We see this in the scriptures that major heroes of the faith are typically ordinary people. Fun fact, everybody in the Bible is actually a normal, ordinary human being. Sometimes what happens when we read the scriptures, we read about Peter, we read about Moses, or we read about all these different characters, and we think to ourselves, wow, there must have been something extraordinary about them. And the reality is they're just, they're just normal people like you and like me. People with flesh and blood, people with insecurities, people with doubts, people with fears, people trying to figure out, oh my word, Lord, is this you actually speaking to me? Because I'm not 100% sure, but I'm going to step out in faith. They're ordinary people who tend to respond to ordinary or sometimes out of the ordinary situations, but with an extraordinary measure of faith. A helpful way to think of this is they're often regular people who tend to live in irregular ways. And because of that, their faith actually doesn't just impact them, it impacts those who are around them. And if you brought your Bible here tonight, and I strongly encourage you, bring your Bible to church. Be that kind of person. You can turn with me to the book of James. If not, we'll have the words for you up on the screen. James is the hero that I'm going to highlight for you this evening. And fascinating thing about James, if you grew up in the church, you know this about him. But if you're new to the church, this is news to you. James is actually the half-brother of Jesus. And that's fascinating in other words, Jesus was raised in a blended family. So if that's your story too, stop beating yourself up. Jesus was raised in a blended family. James was raised in a blended family. But not only is that interesting, another very interesting fact about James for us to consider this evening 
is that even though James grew up with Jesus as his brother, even though Jesus or James grew up with Jesus in his home, James didn't grow up as a Christian. That's fascinating. That's worth talking about a little bit. That's worth exploring. See, while Jesus was alive, James, um, James saw Jesus as his, as his crazy, fanatic, super religious half-brother. Controversial, blasphemous, super awkward to be around, kind of pretend you don't know him in public, half-brother. He didn't believe that Jesus was God. And it wasn't until after Jesus died, after Easter, after Jesus rose from the dead, after Jesus was resurrected, it was after that point Jesus revealed himself to James. And inevitably, James, he, he converts to Christianity. As anybody in this room would if the resurrected Jesus showed himself right in front of you in flesh and blood. So listen to me tonight. This is what I want you to hear. If James who grew up with Jesus in his home, grew up years feeling skeptical, jaded, questioning everything about this whole Christian religion thing. If James can change his opinion on Jesus, maybe we can too. You see, what, I, what, I, what I've come to appreciate about James is as, is as James matured as a religious leader, we, we, we see his faith and, and his perspective begin to evolve and mature. We see the outflow of his, of his religious conversion begin to take shape. And unintentionally, what we see is we see James begin to mature into this hero of the church and, and, and this transition takes place, this transition where James goes from doubter of the faith to doer of the faith. And because of that, we can learn so much from his perspective this evening. I mean, let's be, let's be super honest. Like, think about it for a second. Nobody is going to know Jesus like James knows Jesus. His perspective on Jesus is, is going to be unique. James and Jesus, they grew up playing together. They grew up wrestling. They, grew up, they, they probably shared a bedroom. Does anybody here have a sibling? Raise your hand if you have a sibling. Do you know your sibling pretty good? I bet you do. And so this is James. He grew up with Jesus in his house. So, so what he has to say about Jesus is important. Tonight... I want to explore the subject of spiritual maturity from, from James' perspective. As a pastor, I, I, I love you as you are. Right? That's just how, if you know anything about me, I really truly love people. And, and, and I, I love you as you are. I can assure you, you don't have to change to make me like you more. I promise you that. But am I actually loving you if I don't encourage you to grow in your faith? If I don't push you towards spiritual maturity? And so what I wanna to do tonight is I wanna look at the subject of spiritual maturity through the lens of James, this hero of the faith, 
Because coming out of Easter, now is our opportunity as Christians to shine. (laughs) Now is our opportunity, living in 2023, in Victoria, right now, when church attendance is on the decline in places, when people are skeptical about Christianity, when all of religion seems to be getting politicized, now is the time to show the world who Jesus really is. And this is not a branding campaign that's going to accomplish that. It's us living out our faith in very real, very awkward very unglamorous, real-life situations. So before we jump into the scripture, I want to pray. Because I believe that we are on the cusp of something really great. That it's entirely possible that you didn't come here tonight um, accidentally. But maybe, just maybe, God set it up for you to be here so that tonight he can ignite something inside of you. The likes of which you never even thought possible. For years, you may have been going to and attending church, but tonight, God wants to wake something up in you. When we started worship tonight, and and Sharice, you're singing this song, Awake My Soul, that has been my prayer for you. That God will awake something inside of you. Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're here. I thank you for bringing people into this room tonight. And as we go into your scriptures and as we look at what you have to say to us, God, I just pray against any kind of distraction. Seagulls, we pray against that distraction. (laughs) Our friends sitting beside us, just pray against that distraction. That tonight, you would help us to hear from you and your word. Speak to us, Lord. May we maybe, maybe, maybe just possibly leave here different than the way that we came in. In your name we pray. Amen. So I, I want to start off. What we're going to do is, James, I've loved the book of James. And, and initially at, at our campus in the West Shore, my, my whole plan was to preach just James for six weeks because I think he's really rad. Instead, we're going to get six weeks of James in the next 20 minutes. Here you go. You're going to get a little tidbit from every chapter. I'm going to call, these are my hot takes from James chapter one, two, three, four, and five. My favorite verses. They've challenged me immensely. And my prayer tonight is they would challenge you as well. So off the top, I want to talk about religion. Because religion gets a lot of bad press. And I don't think fully, I don't think culture understands the value of religion. But I also don't think we as Christians really understand the value of religion either. And James actually gives us a very interesting perspective on this subject. James chapter 1 verse 27 says these words. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father, in other words, God's example for what religion should be, the best form of it, the best way to look at it, the best way to describe it is this. It means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. If you're taking notes tonight, I want you to write this down. If you're not taking notes, steal your friend's pen and write it on the front of the pew in front of you. Just kidding, I can't say that. Well, I don't actually pastor here. I pastor in the West Shore, so do whatever you want. Uh, but, but a mature believer understands that religion is bigger than you are. A mature 
believer understands that religion is bigger than you. You see, religion is twofold. This is how James describes it. He says, pure and genuine religion is actually way bigger than you are. He says, pure and genuine religion is about caring for others when they're in distress. But it's also about refusing to let your heart get corrupted. It's about refusing to revert back to who you used to be before Jesus changed everything inside of you. He's saying that pure and genuine religion is about your relationship both with others and your relationship with God. You can't separate the two. That's why the picture of the Easter cross, the Christian cross, that's why that picture, that symbol, is so important for us as the church. Because it's made of two beams. It's made of this vertical beam that in so many ways represents our relationship with us and God. But it's also made, of that, made by that, with that cross member beam, that, that center beam, that horizontal beam that represents the importance of our relationship horizontally with those around us. And if your Christian faith doesn't impact both you and God and you and others, you're missing something. We're missing the point. James highlights a theme all throughout his entire book. And in James chapter two, verse 14, I wanna build on this thought. You see, a mature believer understands that faith is processed internally, but it's also expressed externally. There's something between us and God. There's also about something about between us and actually living it out. Verse 14. What good is it? This is a beautiful question. And I love how poignant James functions. He's super blunt. He, his bedside manner is absolutely awesome, but he likes to, he likes to uh, ruffle feathers. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say that your faith, or if you say that you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? I, I've been guilty here. We've all been guilty here. He says, can that kind of faith save anyone? No. Verse 15. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing. And you say, goodbye. Have a good day. Stay warm. Eat well. <laughs> but then you don't give that person any clothing. You don't give that person any food. What, what, what good does that do? <laughs> You're not, you're not actually being light in this world. He says, so you see, faith by itself isn't actually enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. That is an extreme example. He says, faith by itself isn't enough. It's not just enough to come to church and say, oh, I believe in God. I have, an, I have a faith. I'm passionate about Jesus. I'm, I, 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 I believe it. 
I have it all up here. You see, we access faith internally. Like we have to process it. We have to think about it. We have to weigh the pros and cons. And, then we, and we think about it and, and it lives up here. The problem is it's not supposed to just live up here. It's got, it's got to move its way down. Faith is processed internally, but it can't stay there. Faith needs to be expressed. Faith needs to be lived out externally in order for it to actually work. And I might venture to guess that maybe, just maybe, possibly, there may be some people in this room where you've wondered sometimes, God, are you even there? Like, what's the point of even being a Christian? Like, like, like where are you when I need you? And oftentimes, it's this faith dynamic that gets muddy. In fact, this is where we get stuck. I mean, you're here. Well done. You came to the service. You call yourself a Christian. That's great. Way to go. You believe Jesus is real. That's awesome. But somewhere there's this disconnect between your head and your heart. Or between your head and the way you actually live out your faith when you're at work. Because to you, being a Christian in this room is one thing. But to be a Christian outside of this place, gosh, how do I even do that? And this is where James's words are so helpful, albeit blunt, but very helpful. He says, unless your faith actually leads to action, this whole Christian thing for you is actually dead. This whole Christian thing that you say you're a part of, unless you actually apply it and live it out, is actually useless. It's not actually going to be what, 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 what Sharice is singing about. It's not actually going to be what Josh is singing about. It's not going to feel the same. It's not going to look the same. Why? Because Christianity isn't just a feeling. And Christianity isn't just a belief. It's a relationship. And in any relationship, there's got to be both this internal feeling, but also this external ownership piece that we respond back. It's got to be reciprocal. Like we've got to act on it. We've got to do something with it. Let me explain it this way. I brought my umbrella to church today. Pastor Lucas, would you please give me my lovely umbrella? Thank you, sir. This is my umbrella. I use it when I watch my kids play soccer. I use it when I walk my dog. Everybody in this room is very much familiar with what an umbrella is. I certainly hope so. In its simplest form, faith is the security that I have in knowing that I don't need to worry about my clothes getting wet because I have an umbrella. I have an umbrella. So I know, I know that when it rains outside, I can watch a soccer game and not get wet. I can walk myself down to Discovery Coffee and get myself an Americano. I can do what I want because I have an umbrella. Unfortunately though, Knowing that I have an umbrella, knowing how an umbrella works might make me feel safe, but it doesn't actually keep me dry if I go outside. 
Just knowing I have an umbrella, knowledge alone does not keep me dry. We all know that. We know how one of these things works. I am not dry because I hold an umbrella. I am dry because I go outside and I put an umbrella over my head and I stand in the rain. And unless I do this, this umbrella does not work. So here is what takes place. Let me demonstrate this for you because this is very helpful. Many of you, your faith is like an umbrella. And you have it. You own it. You got it. And you feel secure because it's in your hands. And then the rains come. And you go outside. And you put the umbrella over your head like this. And you look so stupid. (laughs) Because this doesn't actually work. This umbrella only actually works if I use it the way it's supposed to be used. Faith works the same way. Just having a faith in God, knowing it in my heart, that doesn't change me. I need to actually live it out. I need to walk it out. I need to embrace it. I need to own it. And that's when things change. See, here's the funny thing. We get really good at showing off our umbrellas in rooms like this. And then we We're in here and it feels good because we're around everybody. But what happens sometimes is we we leave church and we close the umbrella and we walk out in the rain. And then then we're confused. Because in this room, the umbrella seemed to do something, but in real life, it didn't seem to work all that much. Or what happens is we we keep it open because we know it needs to be open, but we don't actually put it in our head. Or Or we just leave it, and we don't actually ever pick it up. And we tell ourselves, okay, well, I know how it works, I know what it should do, but because I never actually use it, I'm missing something. Faith is like an umbrella. And they don't work inside. And they don't work if you don't open it. And you want a fun picture? What's your name again? Al. Al. Good. So if Al could have stood, can you come stand real close to me? Stand right here. This is perfect. You can turn with these guys. Perfect. So, so here's me and Al. If Al stands close enough to me when I'm holding my umbrella, my faith will actually impact Al. And it's really great. And oftentimes, that's what we do in life, is we build relationships, and sometimes we think our Christianity, like Al's going to feel dry because he's close enough to me, <laughs> right? Because I got, I, got, I got my umbrella up. But if we go outside, and I go home, and Al goes to his home, and you go sit down, Al, you did so good. And, and, and I go home, and I take my umbrella with me, all of a sudden, Al's going to get wet. Because you can't be a Christian through somebody else. Like, like, like it doesn't matter if your girlfriend's a Christian, It matters if you're the Christian. Like, it's a personal relationship between you and God, not between you through proxy somebody else. Now you're both good. And so so you need to get your own umbrella, is what James is saying. He's saying you can't can't live off someone else's umbrella. You gotta actually use the umbrella. You can't just feel good because you have an umbrella. You gotta walk it out. Umbrella, 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 A. Number three. A mature believer understands that wisdom 
has less to do with what you know and more to do with how you live. In James chapter three, verse 13, it says these words. James says, if you're wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. Spiritual maturity has, is not measured by length. It's measured by depth. It's not about how long you've been a Christian. It's about how deep is your relationship with Jesus. James grew up in the same house as Jesus. He spent lots of time with Jesus, but it wasn't until James had his own personal encounter with God that that depth thing changed, that his Christian relationship with God changed, that his spiritual maturity began to evolve. Listen, some of you have been coming to church for years. But what you lack is an encounter with Jesus. There's more than just spending time as a Christian for a long time. That doesn't make you a mature Christian. It's about developing that personal relationship with Christ. Which brings me to number four. A mature believer understands that, that Jesus died for our sins. We get that. But he also understands that it's our responsibility to deal with those sins. We can look at James chapter 4 to understand this a little bit better. In James 4, chapter, or verse 7, he says, right off the top, Humble yourselves before God. You know, this is why the worship at the beginning of the church service is so valuable. Because what it does is it gives us this opportunity to humble ourselves before God. This is why I've always been an advocate for regular church attendance. So week after week, I can stand here and come before God and say, Lord Jesus, thank you that you're real. Thank you that you're my provider. I praise you, God, that I may not be the best version of who I am yet, but I thank you, God, that I'm not who I was yesterday. Thank you, God, that there's some level of maturing that's happening within me. Thank you, God, that when I am weak, you are strong. God, thank you. That's largely why we raise our hands. If you have little kids, I, my kids used to be little, and they'd raise their hands, be like, Dad, pick me up, Dad, 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 pick me up, 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 up. It's the same principle when we're worshiping God. God, I need you in my life right now. I need you to pick me up. This week is hard. There's people I want to punch in the face everywhere. I need your help, Jesus. Lord, help. And this process of regularly coming before God and humbling ourselves before God, so important. So verse seven, he says, humble yourselves before God. Then he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And, and he just speaks so blunt and so plain. He's like, you know when you want to do something stupid? Don't do it. <laughs> He's like, don't overcomplicate Christianity. Like, like, you can tell if it's a bad idea or a good idea. You know in your heart of hearts. He's saying, just, just stop. Don't do that thing. Verse eight, 
Come to God, and God will come close to you. Don't overcomplicate this thing. You want to find God? Humble yourself. Draw close to him. And he will draw near to you. Then he gets so, so honest and real. And he paints this picture. And he says, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. And he's like, guys, girls, you you cannot continue to live with one foot in the world and one foot in the church and call that spiritual maturity. You can't continue to live with one foot in the past and one foot in the church and say, this is true Christian living. He's like, that is not only wrong, but that is sinful. You can't do that. And then to get the reader's attention, he takes it even further. Verse 9. He says, let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief Let there be sadness instead of laughter, gloom instead of joy. And you read this and you're thinking, man, James, you're a downer. But he's trying to get our attention because too many Christians live in this world of one foot in, one foot out because this is convenient Christianity. This type of Christianity doesn't actually cost us anything. And so he's saying, let there be tears. Like, don't be so joyful. Why is he saying that? Because oftentimes what happens in church is we come and it's fun. We got a vibe, we got energy, and it's good in here. We come, we got our free coffee or pay for coffee, and we're here and we're feeling good. And we're feeling super good. And because the vibe is good and everything's positive, everyone's feeling great, we're like, yeah, yeah, Jesus is great, Jesus is great. And the worship comes on and it's banging and it's awesome. Pastor Lucas preaches some fire and everyone's like, this is awesome, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we leave because we felt this emotional high. And James is like, stop! That's not what Christianity is all about. That is about feeling happy. You need to get your heart right with God. That's what spiritual maturity is. Not singing on a worship team, not preaching a sermon, not serving a lot. Spiritual maturity is measured in depth. Remember? Another way of saying that, measured in authenticity. Humility before God. And so he says in verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. And so before I even move to the next point, which will be my final one, I want to invite everyone in this room to bow your heads just for a moment. I want to pray. Because maybe you find yourself here tonight and the picture that James painted, the one I just explained to you, is like a metaphor for your life. You know full well 
that you have one foot in the world and one foot in the church and you are feeling the disconnect even right now. I want to encourage you because you don't need to leave here the same way that you came in, remember? We can leave this before the Lord. So this is where I want you to forget about the person beside you. This is between you and God. And I want you to pray with me. And it's going to be a very honest prayer. And it's going to sound like this. Jesus, thank you that you're real. Thank you for your word. And thank you for your love for me. Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for having one foot in the world and one foot in the church. God, the things that I've done that have hurt others, Father, I pray that you would forgive me. For the things that I've done that have hurt you, God, I pray that you'd forgive me. Thank you that your Bible says, your word says that you love me and have a plan for my life. Thank you that because of Easter, because of your death on the cross, your resurrection, because of that transition, that exchange, Father, thank you that I can have the opportunity and the possibility of a second chance, a new life. So God, would you please fill me with your presence? Would you please fill me with your spirit? God, where there has been fear, I pray for joy. Where there has been brokenness, I pray for wholeness. Where there has been worry, I pray for peace. Where there has been confusion, I pray for wisdom. Jesus, we give you this moment. We lay it all out. Would you be the Lord of my life? In your name I pray. Amen. And number five. I'm going to close with this. A mature believer understands that heroism is more about rescuing the wanderer than performing a sign and wonder. And I want to read you these two verses to leave you with this thought as we close. James concludes his book with these words. He says, my brothers and my sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about forgiveness of many sins. I, I, I'm just the same as the next man. Like, I, I love a good God story. And, 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 you know, we love the testimonies that include signs and wonders. We love the miracle stories. We love the flashy stuff. But can I share a truth with you? If you want to be a hero, we need to learn how to care for the wanderer. That's what he's saying there. 
I want us to be super honest. We've already got there. We're getting pretty real together tonight. But if you know somebody where, let's say since COVID, 2020, the last three years, if you can think of somebody who's wandered away from the church in the last three years, somebody that you know personally, would you raise your hand? Put it nice and high. Let's, let's, just, let's just do a little, little show of hands here. There is a lot of people represented in this room. Friends, I, I, I'm going to tell you something that, that we need to hear. This verse that James closes with wasn't intended just for pastors. And it wasn't intended just for the evangelist on the street corner. But James says, my dear brothers and sisters, dear church, this means everyone. And he says, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and that person is brought back, you can be sure that whoever, not just Pastor Lucas, but whoever does it, whoever brings that person back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about forgiveness for their sins. It speaks to this idea, this, this powerful and beautiful reminder that God is a God of second chances. God is a God who chases the wanderer. And so I want to do something today as we close. I want us to pray for those people that, that we just raised our hands over. And we're going to get real practical tonight. Just one more prayer and then we're going to be done. But let's pray. And I'm going to pray right, even right now. I'm going to ask you. Bring somebody to mind. Lord, I pray that you would bring people to mind tonight. All across this room. And maybe you don't know somebody who's wandered away. You don't know the wanderer, but you know the wanderer. The person who's not a Christian yet, but wondering about this whole life thing, this Christian thing, this church thing. So we're going to be praying for wanderers and wanderers. Okay, bring that person to mind. And I want to pray. Jesus, all across this room, we have dozens upon dozens upon dozens of people who are represented in our minds. And God, we pray as the Lord who cares for the wanderer, we pray that Lord, even right now, that Holy Spirit, you would speak to those people so specifically, so gently, so really, so authentically right now, Lord God. Lord, that you would, that you would just show yourself to them. Remind them that you have a plan and a calling for their life. Remind them that you are bigger than the church system that may have hurt them. You are bigger than their questions. You are bigger than their doubts. You are bigger than their fears. You are bigger than their hurts, oh God. Jesus, I pray that you would call them and bring them back to yourself. Jesus, thank you that you're real. Thank you that, God, you can do anything. And Father, right now, in this moment, in faith, we pray for each person that came to mind. God, that you would show them how real you are. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. This is a great time for the band to come up and make this feel really spiritual. You ready? Because this is how we're going to close tonight. I want to invite you to take your phone out. And this is where church gets real practical. And this is where we get to care for the wanderer. 
The person that just came to mind, I want to encourage you to shoot them a text right now. I'll do the same thing. I'll do the exact same thing. So scroll through your phone. You know what, maybe that person, maybe you don't have their number. And so this is one of those Holy Spirit moments where you say, okay, Lord, who in my contact list can I call and encourage right now? So just open up your phone. And the text doesn't have to be super intense. It could sound like this. Hey, bro, not sure what you're up to right now but you came to mind tonight, so I prayed for you. I hope all is well. Miss you. That's it. So grab your phone. We're on our phone all the time anyway, so let's just pull it out and work with it. Hey, bro, missing you today, praying for you, love ya, exclamation mark, smiley face, sunglasses emoji, sent. Can I invite you to stand to your feet? We love a good God story. We love a good hero story. But you wanna know what heroes look like? You. It looks like this. The only reason I'm a Christian today is because somebody took courage to invite me to a Sunday school ministry one time on a bus. Wasn't that fancy? Wasn't that exciting? I said, do you want to come to Sunday school? you want to come to church with me? And so I went. You know, I didn't become a Christian that day. 11 different people spoke into my life over a series of five years. Everything from inviting me to church and me saying, no way, bro, yeah, right. <laughs> Everything from this random man, I'll never forget, and walked past me on, a, on, on the seawall in Nanaimo. And he said, hey, kid, Jesus loves you. Never forgot that. You don't know how impactful your words are. You don't know how impactful your presence is. You aren't even aware of the fact that you are likely already somebody's hero. They look at you and model everything you do, copy everything they, you do. But here's the thing. We don't want to be the hero. We want Jesus to be. And so point people to Jesus. Live out your faith. Walk humbly before the Lord. And we're going to see this city changed. Amen? Amen. Let's worship together.